So God tells Ezekiel, there's going to be thorns. And then we, re, or then we hear this lovely song talking about God being sovereign over us, even though things are difficult. So you see where we're going. <laughs> and now we come to our New Testament text from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. As Paul finishes this second letter to the church in Corinth, he says this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking in the truth, but I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or I say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, so I titled this sermon, I think quite appropriately, Heavens, Thorns, and Grace. And uh, the reason we're jumping to 2 Corinthians, uh, I just want to make sure this isn't like totally blocking the Zoom thing, the reason we're jumping into 2 Corinthians right now is because for the summer months, we're going to go away from Acts and uh, what we were doing and just sort of go into the lectionary, which if you don't know what the, the lectionary is, it's just a set of scriptures chosen so the whole church kind of worldwide can go through similar things at the same time. Uh, it's a three-year cycle, and uh, if you have questions about it, let me know. So for the coming weeks, uh, we'll be going through the church lectionary, and here at the end of 2 Corinthians, we're sort of jumping into it. Um, Paul is basically explaining to them at the end of this letter why they should listen to him, essentially, is what he's saying. Um, he's trying not to boast, but he says, though he may speak harshly, he's actually living these things out, because to read the letter to the Corinthian church, it was a pretty harsh letter, both of them, First and Second Corinthians. They were kind of a wild bunch, and they had some issues. And so Paul is really strict with them and commanding them to do certain things and refrain from other things. But what he's saying here in context is that, listen, I'm not asking you to do anything I wouldn't do. And though I could boast about myself, I am not going to. And, and, and it says that this is nothing I wouldn't do myself. And you can go and read chapter 10 and 11 to see what I mean. But we'll just start here with our text in verse 2. And he starts out with this weird story. He says, I knew a man who went to the third heaven 14 years ago, either in his body or out of body. Maybe it was his body. Maybe it was his soul. Who knows? Okay, what's he talking about? I want to clarify this real quick as we talk about heaven and what he means by the third heaven. Um, I'm going to jump into a little bit of a teaching thing here just to explain a few things, but this is actually Paul talking about himself in the third person, because if you follow later on in verse 7, he actually switches back to the first person. If you jump down to verse 7, he says, It was because, um, or because of these surprisingly great revelations that were revealed to me, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. So he sort of jumps from the third person to the first person. I don't know why. You can ask him later. Um, 
But, and then when he's talking about the third heaven, I just want to clarify this. Sometimes people have taken this to mean there's different levels of heaven and that the holier people get closer to God or something like that. Um, it's nowhere else in scripture uh, where they actually talk about this, but they do talk about these levels of heaven most free, or most, uh, excuse me, uh, mostly in the Old Testament. I want to show you a picture, actually. I had um, a picture brought up just so you can see what he's talking about. This is sort of the ancient view of the heavens. And so this is all he's talking about. If you look, it says the firmament with the stars. That's sort of the first level of heaven, the sky and the stars. And then the firmament or the ocean of heaven, this would have been sort of like the, the unknown and space and what they couldn't define. And then they believed God lived beyond that, sort of in the third level of heaven in a way. Uh, and so this was sort of an ancient understanding of what heaven may have been. Um, and so when he's saying the third heaven, don't be thrown off and think that there's some theological understanding of heaven that you have missed, okay? Just understand that he's using an ancient understanding of heaven to he's simply just talking about the place where God dwells, okay? I just wanted to clarify that. You can take it off. If you have questions about that, let me know. We can talk about it. But basically what he's saying is, listen, God either took my body or my soul into his very presence, um, and I was caught up into paradise, he was caught up into this place, into the very presence of God. And then he goes on in verse 5 to say, so yeah, you know what? Um, I would boast about a man like that. He's saying, <laughs> basically, if there was anything I could boast about, it would be pretty easy for me to say, hey, guess what? God actually brought me into his presence, and I could stand up telling you, hey, listen to me, because I've been in the presence of God. Right? That would be a bold thing for a pastor or a teacher to say right? To come into town as a traveling apostle and say, hey, listen, you need to listen to me because I have been in the presence of God. He says, listen, I could, or a person like that could boast about that, but I won't. Verse 6 and 7, he says, in fact, to keep me humble, to keep me being, from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Similar language to what God used when talking to Ezekiel. There will be thorns, there will be things around you that hold you down. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. That word messenger is the same word we have for like angel, like someone sent from Satan to tempt him. And then Paul tells us, he actually pleaded with God to take it. Pleaded with God to take it, but he didn't. And instead, God's response to him, Jesus' response to him was, my grace is sufficient for you. No matter how much you want this thing gone, no matter how much you feel like the world is weighing down on you, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So I won't boast in me, but I will boast in the power of God and in his grace. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what to talk about tonight? Well, this is a difficult teaching for a couple of reasons. One, let's address the obvious. Uh, this is one of the number one questions I get as a pastor. Does God send bad things? Or does God allow bad things, right? The problem of evil, how could a good God allow these things? Does God send them? Does God give us hardships or does God simply allow them? And many people say, well, it's against God's character and nature. We talk about God's love so much. Why would God do these things? But this is an idea that all of us need to wrestle with because, well, I'll get to that. Just to give you some context from Scripture about does God send hard things. 
Habakkuk 1, which is one of the minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament, all those weird names, you know, um, it's one of those. It says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. God tells Israel through the prophet Habakkuk that he actually raises up the nation of Babylon to judge them. This is a question we need to wrestle with. Would God send thorns? Would God send temptations? Or does he just allow them? Of course, we can look at the other side of the coin with the book of Job, right? And the devil comes to God asking permission. And God says, yeah, okay, you can go ahead and, and mess with Job a little bit. And in our passage tonight, Paul says that this thorn in his flesh was put there to keep him from becoming conceited. In contrast to his ability to boast, he is given this thorn. He even says earlier in 2 Corinthians 10, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. And so Paul believes that whatever is happening in his life was given specifically from God to keep him from being conceited, to keep him from becoming something that he should not be. Paul goes on to say things like, I will boast in my weakness. And then he talks, he gives this story that we just read about going to heaven and being near to God, but still having temptations and this thorn in his flesh. And we know this, we look at the Bible and it's clear Paul has great gifts, right? It's clear that Paul had everything in him to be a, a first century celebrity preacher, traveling around and drawing huge crowds. Now, the big crowds he was drawing were often trying to hurt him, but he was still drawing big crowds. Paul has great gifts, great wisdom, great ability, but he is saying here that all of those things God has given me, all the successes I've seen in my ministry, I rely first and foremost on God's grace. Because my victory is in God's grace and not in my accomplishments. See, what Paul, I believe, is trying to impart to the Corinthian church here is to say to them, do you realize you guys are great? If you don't know about the city of Corinth, you can look it up. It was a wealthy city. It was a very important city. They had a lot of things. They had a lot of wealth. They had a lot of comfort. And they likely thought not too different than many of us now. Why do I need God? I have a nice job. I have a nice house. I have a nice pension in case things go bad. <laughs> I have nice vacations. I have nice family. I have nice friends. What do I need God for? And Paul is saying, listen, what you need to understand is I have every right to boast. I have every right to boast about my accomplishments and the things I have done. But my victory is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And he's telling the Corinthian church to do the same. He's saying that we, that they, and that you and I today need to rest in the grace of Jesus. And as a reminder, just so we know what is grace, Grace is a gift freely given to us that Jesus died for you and for me, for our sins was resurrected, reunited with God, so that we could be reunited with God, even though we are sinners. It is a gift freely given before we could ever even choose to accept it. It happened a long time ago. And so what Paul, I believe, is saying here is that you and I must accept the gift of grace. And that grace must be the source of power and the source of victory in our lives. So, getting back to the initial question that I didn't answer. 
does God send thorns? Maybe. It's clear he allows them. And this, this passage actually doesn't say it was sent by God, but it says who? That Paul was sent a thorn from a messenger of Satan. An angel or a demon of some kind to torment his flesh. It could have been the beatings he was having. If you didn't know, he got beaten up in a lot of places. Um, could have been the people who traveled around actually actively seeking to oppose him. When he would travel, there were Jews who would go around actively seeking to oppose him. It could have been a sin issue. It could have been something in his own life that was tempting him. Something that, that weighed him down. I have no idea what it was. But the important thing, and what I think is really important for you and for me today, is that we look at this and we realize that he asked God to remove it, and God didn't. Friends, if I could, there's a few things in the Bible I would change if I could. Um, and, and I think this one is getting up towards the top of the list. Because I, I regularly will talk to people, and you and I know what it feels like to pray for something and think, this must be God's will. This must be a good thing to get rid of this. This must be a good thing. And, and we're praying, and we're actively praying, and God just doesn't answer in the way we want. An unanswered prayer is something that is just difficult and so, getting back to our question, does God send bad things or simply allow them? You know what my answer to you is? Go ask God. Because I could give you my reasoning for what I believe and why I think it. But for you, it's going to be something that you work out with God. Because this is something I've gone back and forth on for most of my life. Does God send things? No, of course not. God's loving. But then something happens. You think, well, surely God has to have sent this because the scripture says this, but this other scripture says this. Friends, here's what I want to address when we're looking at this. We always want to know why. You and me, we want to know why. Why did God do this? Why did God? Why, 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 why? I suppose it's in our nature. But what I want to maybe help us look at is maybe a better question to ask when we talk about these thorns in our life or temptations or struggles is how do we go forward when these things happen? How do we live with these things? How do we address these things? How can we learn from these things? How can we learn from trials and temptations in our lives? You know, and the reason I say that rather than worrying about does God do it or doesn't God do it is because they're going to happen anyways, okay? Um, you know, I became a Christian, some of you know this, I became a Christian when I was, I'd, I'd probably say 12 or 13 was when I really started taking it seriously. And in my church youth group, we had this group of what we would call like a leadership team, right? It was a big youth group, I mean big, like 300 high school kids, right? Big youth group. And there was this group of like the leadership team. And there was maybe 15, 10 to 15 guys who were like the junior and senior leaders, 17, 18 year olds who were supposed to, it was not a good idea in hindsight. But anyways, we did a bunch of stuff, and we thought we were special. Um, of this team of people whom I was friends with, a couple of people are still believers, but I only know of one who still is actively walking with Jesus. 10, 12 guys who, when they were 17, 18 years old, were living and walking with Jesus and saying things and raising their hands and singing songs. I went to a Christian college, one of, a really nice Christian college that's really well-known for training missionaries and pastors and all these other things. And I have friends who I went to college with who would have claimed these things from the mountaintop and stood out on the corner preaching Jesus' name, but then two, three, four, five years later, 
left their faith and said, I don't believe this stuff. And the reason was, and one of the things I saw from all of their lives was that when life got difficult, when the thorns came around them, whether they were sent by God or sent by the devil, it doesn't matter, they were there. They didn't know how to deal with these things. They weren't ever trained. They weren't ever taught. They didn't know how to think about the difficulties in life because they had always just raised their hands and said, Jesus is my best friend, and, and that's what church is about. And friend, Jesus is our best friend, and Jesus does love us, but let me tell you, suffering comes, hardship comes, thorns surround us. So what's important for us to know is what we can do with these things and how we can learn and grow from these things. And so I want to share three things with you I think can be helpful for us. I think these things, and we see these in the text, I think these things keep us humble. I think these things have the ability to encourage us and unify us. And I think these things have the ability to train us for the future work ahead. So the first one I want to talk about is humility. You know, everyone in this room is pretty talented. I don't know if you guys know that or not. Everyone in this room is very educated. Most of you have a degree or are working on a degree. Some of you have advanced degrees. Some of you even have doctorate degrees. Just by simply having a bachelor's degree, I think you're more educated than 95% of the world, at least formally. If you have a master's degree, much more. I mean, we all have gifts and things we can boast about. We are all tempted to be prideful about our victories. We, many of us are comfortable. Many of us don't worry about where our next meal is coming from. Many of us have a savings account or have family that are there to help us if, if, if an emergency happens. But let me just suggest to you that when we encounter thorns in our life or struggles in our life, that many times these things can be things that keep us humble and keep us depending on God, like Paul says here. These things, whether they're sin issues or whether they're issues of suffering, can be things that cause us to go back to God each and every single day and say, God, I can't do this alone. As we've been talking about in recent weeks, to abide in Jesus in John 15, to stay with him. Because as humans, we know our nature is to become prideful. And when we have victories or things go well for us, our first response is to think, yeah, well done me. Right? Good job, Sam. You know? I got a master's degree. That's pretty good. You know? I'm doing all right. But God gives us these things or allows these things to happen so that we would rely on him, so that we would remain in him. And let me just say this, too, about humility. We have a joke in our family that uh, they gave me a shirt that said, I'm the most humble. But then when I put it on, they took it away. Um, <laughs> humility is a fleeting thing. Uh, and let me just say this. When I talk about being humble, one of the other really pesky hard things about human nature that comes up is we immediately think, yeah, other people need to be more humble, right? Okay, maybe, maybe you're a much better person than I am, but that's one of the first things I think of. When I think about humility, I think, oh man, there's a lot of people in my life who I would love to be more humble, right? Man, if that person at work was more humble, man, if that person would just hold, get a little dose of their own medicine, that would make my life a lot easier. Okay, let me stop us there. Let us, let's remember, humility is between us and God. And if you're thinking other people should be more humble, you're missing the mark. Because there's going to be things, there's going to be times in your life. And I think Jesus said something about like speck in the eye versus a plank in the eye, right? There's something in there in the Bible. Friends, humility is not to be called out in others. 
It's for ourselves and to think, am I connecting to God? Am I abiding in Jesus? Is this thing happening in my life causing me to rely more on Jesus or more on myself? In true spiritual humility is the person who says, I want to rely on Jesus and his grace for my victory rather than my strength and my gifts for my victory. Okay? The second thing that thorns can encourage us and unify us. Um, this is clear. We know this. How great is it when we're struggling and suffering, when we share that with friends or we pray with others and, and, and we come together and we realize that we all need Jesus. Let me remind us that Jesus came for the sick, not the healthy. And when we can admit our weaknesses and we can then also preach the gospel to others who are weak. When we admit our sin, we find strength in knowing that we all struggle in sin. As Paul said, there is no one righteous, not even one. And when we all realize that together, it's an encouraging thing. And then lastly, these things keep us humble. They bring us together and encourage us. And I believe that these things train us for what God might be calling us in the future. When we have something we, we feel we cannot get rid of, when we have something we feel that is weighing us down or like a thorn in our flesh, in our weakness, we go to God. And what happens? Our, his grace is sufficient for us, verse 9. His power is made perfect in our weakness. We want to pray more. We want to go to God more. We want to rely on God more. And this is how we train and prepare for the future. This is how we grow stronger. This is how we become more Christ-like. By relying on Him to strengthen us rather than ourselves. Because if you are... If you are so proud of, well, I'm such a, I, I, I read my Bible this much and that's where my strength comes from. Yes, that's a good thing. But eventually what's going to happen is it's going to become this thing that becomes a prideful thing inside of you rather than relying on God to do it. This is how we become more mature as Christians is to practice these things to grow closer to God. For when I am weak, Paul said, then I am strong. As friends, I just, as we wrap up, I, I just want you to think about this idea of victory, okay, of winning. We want to win. We want to win. We want to beat our problems. We want to conquer these issues. We want to overcome these things. Maybe it's our Western mindset. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. Maybe it's just humanity, but we want to win. <laughs> we want to beat sin. We want to beat the devil, but that's not our job. It's the Lord's job, and he's already accomplished these things. We want to know why. We want to have knowledge and say, God, why do you do this? Explain to me how you do this. Lay it out exactly how you do this so that I can understand. We want to know why God does things. We want victory. We want to claim all of these things. But you know what, friends? The victory is not from our strength. The victory is from our weakness. And any victory, any superiority, any triumph we have is in Jesus, his death, and his resurrection. And that is the source of our boasting. That is the source of our pride. That is the source of everything we are. Because no matter what it is, if it's a sin issue, if it's an external struggle, if it's some sort of suffering, I don't know, it's not going to be overcome through your willpower and your discipline. It's not going to be overcome through proper thought in following rules. It's not going to be overcome through your gifts and your talents. Any thorn or temptation you have will only be overcome through daily relying on Jesus to turn your weakness into strength and relying on His grace alone.
And don't get me wrong, discipline is a good thing. Proper thought is a good thing. Using your gifts and, and following methods are good things, but it's only done and accomplished through the grace and through abiding in Jesus, not through our work. And we need to know the things we can control and we can't. And there's a lot, friends, we can't control in this life. There's a, a great prayer that I want to end with. And some of you may know it. It's called the Serenity Prayer. It's been famous from um, addiction recovery groups. And there's a long version and a short version. And uh, my family has um, a background of addiction. And, and, and uh, my parents have gone through and teach recovery ministries. And so I heard this prayer a lot growing up. And I love this prayer. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I'm going to say that again. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So friends, do you know the difference? <laughs> can you overcome the thorns of this world on your own? Can you overcome the sin in your life alone? Can you achieve victory alone? The answer is no. You have weaknesses, but you also have strengths and gifts. You don't need to have all the answers. You need the grace of Jesus and the grace of Jesus first. Because without it, there will be no victory. According to Scripture, without the grace of Jesus being the prevalent thing in our lives, there will be no victory. When we rely on ourselves, we have no power to overcome sin. I mean, we have no power to overcome suffering and despair. I mean, how many of you have tried to rely on yourself to pull yourself out of struggles or despair or weakness or sin? I mean, I, I, I could talk for a lot longer on this and just give you a bunch of personal testimony if you want to hear how, how, how much of a failure your pastor is in overcoming sin by himself. But when we rely on ourselves, we find failure. But when we rely on Jesus, we find victory. When we rest in Jesus Christ and his grace to make us strong in our weakness so that humility grows in us so that you and I are encouraged and unified together and we are in training for the road ahead, then we find victory. We find victory to overcome these struggles. We find victory over the things that we thought we could never defeat. Because through Christ is where our weakness is made strong. And so, friends, whatever it may be, my prayer for you and for me is that we would learn to rest in Jesus, that we would learn to find our victory in him and in him alone, and that we would know the things that we cannot change and that we would trust in God. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Um, Lord, thank you. I pray that, um, Lord, we would all seek to grow in humility. We would not condemn our neighbor for their lack of humility, Father, but that we would seek to be more like you. Father, I pray that we would rest in you and in one another that in a way that would be encouraging and unifying and bring us together. And Father, I pray that when we go through struggles or when there are thorns in life, that we would understand that the things we go through, when we rely on you and your grace, that we are learning and training for the things you will call us to. And so, God, I ask that we would train in righteousness, that we would trust one another, and, Father, that we would seek you 
in your grace alone. God, would you be the source of our victory in you alone? And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite our musicians back up, and they're going to lead us in a song, uh, a couple of songs.